You really want to make them feel it. It should be vivid in their minds. Yeah, that's emotional anchoring. And emotional anchoring helps a salesperson control your emotional state. The imagination isn't great at differentiating between memories, daydreams, and actual happenings. The more vivid, the better, because the body and brain act accordingly. Ready to hear why emotional anchoring should have no place in your sales process? Let's get into it. Welcome to the Critically Conscious Coach, where coaches and consultants know the importance of deeply connecting with prospects, showing up in an authentic and joyful way, and inviting those people to become lifelong clients to exceed their sales goals. But most coaches are afraid to market themselves because they've been taught to use cookie-cutter marketing tactics and unethical sales approaches, when in reality, your prospect just wants a real emotional connection and amazing results. Therefore, get ready to unlearn and market yourself authentically through asking insightful questions, making better business decisions, practicing self-acceptance, and doing sales the right way. Hey, welcome back to another episode on The Critically Conscious Coach. My name is Ruthie, and I'm your host, as well as the founder of Defy the Status Quo. So the Critically Conscious Coach and Defy the Status Quo focuses largely on business advocacy and business ethics. Business advocacy for those business owners who are looking to hire coaches, consultants, and business service providers, as well as business ethics for those same service providers to create a business and fulfillment experience that's amazing for both sides. So today we're going to talk about emotional anchoring. So anchoring is something that we see that pops up a lot in the sales process. It's a term that's used in neurolinguistic programming. In the sales processes that I've seen it applied, it mostly was for emotional anchoring, but there are other types of anchoring. But that's how I'm going to refer to it from here on out, emotional anchoring. So According to some of the research that I did for websites that promote the use of emotional anchoring in sales and in coaching, and just to be clear, and we're going to get into this more later, I'm not saying that the tactic of using emotional anchoring is 100% bad. It's just within this particular context, and I'll address that a bit more after, you know, I'm sure that everybody understands what I mean when I say emotional anchoring. So one website said that to get anchors to work, you need to, you know, get your prospect really thinking and feeling and experiencing some type of emotion and then amplify it. And you want to attach that to some type of trigger. So like a movement, a voice tone, a location, like your posture, uh, a touch, all types of things, all types of things work. And then you move your conversation to a different topic, as they often do in the sales process. And then when you're ready, as the salesperson, you use that anchor, that trigger, to then cause the emotional state that you originally anchored it to. So another website said that during your sales conversation, you want to make sure that you uncover what your prospect wants and then, you know, kind of parrot it back to them, repeat back to them, because that creates what they call rapport, right? And it also helps your prospect feel understood. And then using those types of anchors when you move into the closing phase is what they called a classic subliminal persuasion technique. So if you provide that 
with what they called hypnotic sales language, your closing ratio will improve dramatically. I thought this was interesting, too, because some people think like neurolinguistic programming, it's very physical. You need to touch. You need to feel and stuff like that. But you can anchor using voice. And so one uh, NLP professional described it this way. They would sit in a chair opposite the person they were talking to, and they would start out by talking about that person's weekend. If that person had a really good weekend, they would use a certain tone and position their body a certain way. And then if they had a bad weekend, they would use a different tone and use and then position their body a different way according to whether or not the weekend was good or bad. And then they would change the conversation. And anytime the conversation changed to something related to business where the person wanted a more positive outcome and they had done the anchor because the weekend was good, they would go back to that particular body positioning and go back to that using that particular tone. If it was something negative and they had created that bit of an anchor using that tone of voice that they associated when they were talking about the weekend when the weekend was negative, then they would switch to that. So we do a lot of video chatting, a lot of of voice calls in this space, in the online business service space. And while it's probably not as effective via video, we do know that it is still very effective. And actually, when I think about it, it would probably be super effective in virtual reality because you get, you know, as close as you can get to an in-person experience, particularly because we're sharing that space as well as both of us being the same size due to our avatars. So that's, you know, very interesting. And, And for those of you that don't know, at least with the Oculus Quest headsets, there's hand tracking. So if I do place my hand on the virtual desk that coincides with my real life desk, you will see it. If I shift my shoulders, like you're going to see that type of stuff because I can communicate with my body language pretty well in virtual reality these days. So in last week's episode about the pressure cooker sales script, I mentioned emotional anchoring. And so I wanted to give you uh, a couple of examples and, and I want to be really thorough this time. Uh, last time, you know, I, I kind of skimmed over it a little bit. I didn't get as thorough as I wanted to be. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I'm going to give you one from me and then one where I was explaining this concept to a business friend of mine. So when I was being sold to for those those bro marketing cult coaching type programs, one of my big reasons why was, you know, it was during the pandemic and my husband's immunocompromised and I want him to be able to work from home or or at least work part time or, or something, which he would be able to do if I was making 15K months, 15K months, 20K months on a regular basis consistently. My husband would totally be able to do that. He'd totally be down for being a kept a kept man. But, you know, I was, my emotions were heightened and I was very, very concerned about this. Remember, this is August 2020. And so by now I'm like, okay, wow, this still isn't over. Holy shit. Right? Like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? Like, every day I wake up, I don't know. Like, my life is the same since March of 2020. But at the same time, I, I felt no consistency because things were so different than what they were. And I'm hearing about all these people getting it. My family members are getting it. Like, oh, my God, I'm scared that my husband's going to get it. He's going to die. Like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's where my brain was at. And it's not that it was actively like that all the time, but that's the type of shit that was running in the background. That was my background music, if you will. And so, I was asked, okay, so what would that mean to you, though, to have him be part-time, I was asked. And so that's what I was talking about. I was like, you know, I'm just really worried about him being here and here. And so my emotional state, as I'm vividly describing this to this person, is is anxiety, right? And, And we'll talk about this more later. But, you know, my anxiety shows up as a prickly ball or a prickly ring in the center of my chest. 
And so when I'm feeling low amounts of anxiety, it feels more like a prickly ball. It feels very solid in the center of my chest, right right near my heart chakra, as a matter of fact. But when my anxiety increases, that ball spreads out into a ring. And so moderate amounts of anxiety probably has it in line with like the, you know, the middle, the bisecting each of my pectoral muscles, right, just to kind of give you an idea. And so that there's that circle. And then severe amounts of anxiety will have the uh, prickly ball, a uh, prickly ring of anxiety out to my shoulders. Like that's where my anxiety shows up. And so as I'm talking with him, I'm feeling, I go from feeling very low amounts of anxiety because I wasn't actively thinking about it to feeling probably about moderate amounts of anxiety and kind of like, you know, some kind of temperature changes in my body and stuff. And so I'm, I'm explaining all of that so you understand how me imagining it and explaining it to this person is having a physiological effect on my body, right, which then cycles back into my brain. And, you know, they they talk back and forth, the body and the brain, the body and the mind, they talk back and forth. And so that's kind of what was going on with me. And it's, and it's this worry, right, which the worry then, you know, I'm a very driven person. I want to solve this problem, which just made it more likely that I was going to, to want to take some type of action because it was so vivid in my mind. You know, and then, you know, we talked about some other things like, you know, once <laughs> once COVID's over, ha ha ha, you know, I want us to be able to get away. I've got four kids. I want my kids to experience stuff that I didn't experience. And so he asked me about that. Well, so what were some of the things that you would have wanted to have experienced as a child? What do you what types of experiences do you want to provide for your kids now? Because like in the pressure cooker sales script that I, again, kind of gave very detailed look at last week, we looked at, uh, OK, so how would making this amount of money change your business? How would making this amount of money change other areas of your life? And so my kids came up for me in terms of my other areas of my life. And so I was able to describe some of the experiences I wanted to take them on. And, and you know, it got, again, very vivid. And it's like, oh, very idealistic. And I'm so hopeful. And, and that was the way that things changed, right? And that was the tone that we took. So things are very, like, emotional and in some cases very fearful because, again, like, why I wanted my husband to be able to work from home, be part-time or whatever. Then also very positive, very positive and idyllic when I talked about the things I wanted to do with my family, my husband and my kids, the vacations and the experiences I wanted us to take. So both very positive and very negative types of emotions. Had I objected, and I didn't, because remember, I skipped along like a little lamb to the slaughter, but had I objected and been like, oh, this sounds really expensive— then I would have gotten comments and remarks like, oh, okay, well, you know, you really made it sound like getting your husband to be part-time and, and, you know, because he's immunocompromised and getting him out of a, a communal workspace was really important. So they would say, you know, you really made it sound like uh, getting your husband out of a communal workspace because he's immunocompromised was really important, right? And, that, and, and I'm like, well, it is important. And like, oh, okay, well, so let's talk about how we can make this work then even though I already said that it was too much, right? Like, that's that's where we're at. Like, they don't even ask uh, questions like, okay, so let me know what your budget is, right? Because there is no point, like, if you say that your program is $15,000 and I told you I thought it was going to be $1,500, we are not meeting in the middle there, Hoss. We're not. So, like, you got to know who you're talking to. Read the room, know your audience. If you don't do those things, you're unethically selling. So I want to give you another example because Humaira and I were talking about this, and she wanted to know, okay, what do you mean by emotional anchoring? And so I was like, you know what? Let me tell you. So we kind of role-played a little bit, which was really fun. Before we keep going with this podcast episode, I wanted to ask, are you struggling to determine what's ethical and what's not for your practice or business? 
It may be because you haven't delved deeply into your why. Called by many a unique and deep approach, the Why Workshop is a self-paced $77 mini course that guides you in a multifaceted dive into why you do what you do. The resulting ahas can become the heart of your brand and the filter for all decision-making in your business. Go to defythestatusquo.com forward slash the hyphen why hyphen workshop to learn more. Okay, that's over. Let's get back to the episode. Do you remember what I was saying? Oh, yes. I remember what I was talking about now. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay. So I told her like, hey, here's the scene. I'm the business coach. And, you know, you saw, you've seen some of my stuff online and you're getting the sense that maybe I could help you because I seem so successful. Heavy emphasis on the word seem. <laughs> I seem so successful. And so you're talking to me. And so this is what I do. I ask, so what would it mean to you to have consistent 10K months in your business? And she said, oh, my goodness, like, I really want us to be able to buy a house with a big yard. And I was like, oh, yeah, how come? And then she tells me, I've got twins. I've got twin boys. And we just have such, you know, a small play area. And and I asked, well, what, how, how would you feel, you know, getting into such a, you know, financial position that you guys are able to buy a house? And how do you think you'd feel that first time you see them trekking across the yard, right? Kicking the ball, whatever. And then, she, oh, my goodness, it would just, and I could hear it in her voice, she was feeling those emotions in her heart space, right? She was really feeling that, that tickle. So for me, those positive emotions, especially I think of my kids, I think of my husband in a positive context, not the anxiety, but the the emotion does tickle. It feels like a tickle in my chest, but in a good way, almost like how you feel excitement tickling in your stomach down near like your solar plexus chakra or um, further down. Like I feel mine kind of in the solar plexus when when I get really excited. But when I feel like those feelings of like that love, it feels like a positive tickle in the heart chakra space. And so that's where I hear it. And so then I, I told her, okay, so now we're moving into the sales piece and you have an objection. What's your objection? She's like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm not really making a lot in my business right now. I don't know if I can afford that. Like that was her objection. And I say, oh, okay. So how how long do you think you are willing to wait to give your kids, you know, some of the things that you already talked about, the things that you said were important, right? So now I am taking your words and using them against you. Like you said these things were important to you, getting your kids the backyard, blah, blah, blah. So how long do you think you're going to wait for that? Because the underlying implication there is that if you don't choose to move forward with me today— you are choosing to put that on the back burner. You said it was important, but now it's obviously not, right? So that's what—that's the underlying implication there. That's the subtext. And so I just wanted to kind of give those very specific but a bit more like in-depth examples of what I mean when people use emotional anchoring in the sales process. So emotional anchoring, <laughs> the long and short of it is that it's antithetical to critically conscious as a concept. And the reason why is because emotional anchoring is looking to emotionally manipulate without the consent of the person you're engaging with. If I'm an NLP certified coach and you come to me because you're like, oh my goodness, I just have stage fright, whether it's a camera, whether it's a microphone, whether it's video, whether it's on stage, I have such stage fright. And I'm coming to you because you are an NLP certified practitioner and you've got experience helping people overcome sales stage fright through NLP techniques, that person is consenting for me to create all types of anchors and help them create them for themselves so that way they can overcome stage fright. That is consent. But when you do it in a sales call, the person is not consenting. Like, are you like, 
Do you mind if I use anchors to emotionally manipulate you and increase the chances you'll whip out your credit card without thinking too hard about anything else? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Yeah, no one ever said that. Said no one ever. Literally, no one has ever said that. So remember, critically conscious is a stacked spoken wheel framework with EQ, emotional intelligence, at its base. The next stack up is critical thinking. Emotional anchoring works well when you aren't creating an environment that's conducive to self-awareness and critical thinking. So if you are the business person, here's what you can do to protect yourself. If you're the person who's the prospect, here's what you can do to protect yourself. Do not go into any sales call with an abnormal emotional state, good or positive. The reason why is because an abnormally high, good emotional state increases optimism bias. Optimism bias meaning that you unreasonably think that things are going to work out without any evidence to support that. And a negative emotional state, an abnormally negative emotional state, increases pessimism bias, which means that you have an abnormal uh, leaning towards negative things happening. So this sets you up on both sides for a very serious uh, black and white cognitive bias or the black and white logical fallacy, thinking that there's only two options for something, right? So either I move forward and succeed or I don't move forward with this coach and I fail. You don't want to be in that. So if you find that that day you get amazing news, you land a huge contract, that you you were like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting it to come through this soon. You got a flush of cash that you weren't expecting for some reason or another. Your spouse gets a massive raise or massive promotion at work and you were just like, oh my goodness, I am so high on life right now. This is amazing. Don't go to the call. If you get serious bad news, there's a virus on your website. It's got to be taken down. You don't know when it's going to go back up. You launched something and or you launched something last week you're looking at your data this week and nothing went the way that it was supposed to so you're feeling really down don't get on the call reschedule the call if you must you do not owe this person anything you can let them know that you need to reschedule because they want to buy they want you to buy from them okay common courtesy means you don't ghost them but you let them know that you need to reschedule if you feel like it's a call you still want to do Endeavor going into the call feeling very in tune with your own body. Emotions show up in the body. Figure out where yours show up. I describe some of the ways that my emotions pop up earlier on in the call. When I get really excited, I get that uh, I get those tickles. The like it's almost like feathers floating around in my solar plexus area. I might get hot and cold prickles or goosebumps uh, all over my body. And then there's just that sense of like really high energy because I'm excited. And conversely, you know, anxiety, I described the prickle ball of anxiety to y'all, as well as, uh, you know, your posture and like the energy levels are low. I have a slouchy posture, like I'm just not feeling good. Figure out where your emotions show up in your body. Monitor yourself, journal, write these things down because you can then monitor your physical and mental state throughout the call, Okay. Another thing you can do is commit to not paying over the phone. If you are pressured to pay over the phone, this person isn't for you. They don't care about you. They just want your money. Exception is when you have a standing relationship with this person and you've already weighed the pros and cons and the call was really more of a formality. So that is different. But if this is somebody you're like, oh, I have I don't really know this person and they pressure you to pay over the phone right now, uh-uh, full stop. Okay, so on the other side, coaches, salespeople might be lying, might say, this will decrease close rates. Yes, yes, it will. It will help weed out the people you shouldn't have taken money from in the first place. And I've said this before, but here's this metaphor for you again. Sales is kind of like hooking up. 
at like the bar. Stop being predatory. Stop waiting for the drunk people looking for an Uber to come out the bar and you sweep them up and take them to your house or wherever it is that y'all go. The goal of critically conscious, the goal of ethical business built on wonderful relationships with people and, and like this humanistic approach to business, the goal is to look just as good in the morning as you did under the club lights. I said it. A lot of these coaches and consultants do not look good. Out in the daylight, they only look good under the club lights after you've had a few drinks. And if you don't know what I'm saying, I'm sorry, but that's one of my favorite metaphors for this. Working with someone, working with you, should be the type of decision that still seems like a good move after someone has done all of their research, i.e. the sun came out, we have woken up, and the beer goggles are off. The beer goggles are off. So after someone has done their research, you should still seem like a good choice. Invest in building up your reputation and your credibility. Your reputation. Invest in those in every way that you can. And by invest, I don't just mean money. By invest, I mean treating people like humans, fulfilling what it was that you said you were going to fulfill. Operate your business by your values and make those values mean something. That's your reputation. That's word of mouth. That's how those things get going. And, and when you get fans and people start to pump you and promote you when you're not even in the room, because that's your reputation, what people say about you when you're not even in the room. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. Anybody who's trying to emotionally anchor you without your consent, eh, I would give them some very serious side eye. Most people in this space, in the business coaching and consulting online service space, are trained to do sales this way. So I'm not saying that the person is actively malicious, but what I am saying is they have not done the deep work to actually consider whether or not these types of techniques, like emotionally anchoring people during sales, actually have a place in their business when they say that they are ethical, when they say that they are up, you know, stand-up business professionals, when they say that they operate by a strict code of ethics. If you do, how does emotional anchoring fit in? Does emotional manipulation have a spot in, in your code of ethics? I'm going to go with probably not, but who knows? It's a weird world out here. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Are you in the market for a coach or a consultant? I've developed an evaluation workbook for business owners who are looking for a coach, consultant, or service provider, and I'd love to get some feedback from you. I'm trying to decide if I should create some videos to go with it or what. <laughs> so shoot me a DM if you'd be okay with me sending you the link and if you can give me some feedback on the content. Thanks so much. I'd really appreciate it. <laughs>